Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Testing extended to workers and over 65s. The expansion of access to testing will protect the most vulnerable and help keep people safe. Why Scotland's recommending face coverings when the UK isn't. The announcement today also puts spotlight on the UK government, which has been dithering for days over whether to introduce similar guidance on face coverings in England. And former Foreign Secretary David Miliband tells us why a global disease requires a global response. This is Coronavirus, the latest from The Telegraph. I'm Theodora Leloudis. The UK's five-day average for coronavirus deaths is now the highest of any major European economy at this point in the pandemic's curve. That's according to new analysis from John Hopkins University. 42 days after the 10th death, the UK's five-day average stands at 598 deaths each day. At the same point, Italy stood at 559, France 509 and Spain 423. UK coronavirus deaths have been the highest among all major European countries for four days in a row, overtaking France at this stage in the pandemic. This despite the UK data only recording deaths in hospitals, whereas countries such as France record all community deaths. Today, Health Secretary Matt Hancock announced that from Wednesday, the UK would also record all deaths in the community in its daily count. And in order to counter further spread of the virus, Mr Hancock announced an expansion in the amount of people eligible for tests. We'll be rolling out testing of asymptomatic residents and staff in care homes in England and to patients and staff in the NHS. And we now have the capacity to go further still. So from now, we're making testing available to all over 65s and their households with symptoms and to all workers who would have to leave home in order to go to work and members of their households, again, who have symptoms. So from construction workers to emergency plumbers, The government's current testing capacity stands at over 73,000 as the country moves rapidly towards the target of carrying out 100,000 tests a day by the end of the month. Earlier, I spoke to secondary school teacher Joe Wells, who booked in for a key worker test online on Sunday and was tested at a drive through testing centre on Monday. He told me the system's effective, but he raised concerns about ID checks. In terms of the booking, it was rather easy. Obviously, I think I was just lucky that the availability was good when I was booking it. In terms of the test, the test itself can be quite unpleasant, administering certainly the throat swab. But everything else was quite quite simple. I would also say that the checks to see if you are a key worker or are who you say you are, well, there wasn't any really whilst you were there. When I first went in, they did say, show your ID and barcode. Like, I literally just showed the barcode up and they let me through. Obviously, they're trying to limit the amount of interactions they have with people who 
think they might have it and there was no checks on who I was. The Scottish government's recommending people cover their faces in shops and on public transport. Nicola Sturgeon said Scots over the age of two should wear a cloth such as a scarf or T-shirt in enclosed spaces where social distancing is difficult. The benefit comes mainly in cases where someone might have the virus but isn't aware of that because they're not experiencing any symptoms and therefore not isolating completely in line with the rules. So wearing a face covering in these circumstances may reduce the chance of that person transmitting the virus onto others. So the Scottish Government is now recommending the use of face coverings in these limited circumstances as a precautionary measure. The Telegraph's Scottish political editor, Simon Johnson, says the new guidance is likely to have a knock-on effect on the UK government. Nicola Sturgeon's recommendation today that people wear face coverings in shops and on public transport puts Boris Johnson under huge pressure to follow suit. Miss Sturgeon denied trying to embarrass the Prime Minister by announcing the move first, but she ramped up pressure on the UK government by stating that she assumed that UK ministers have seen the same scientific advice on this that she has. And whether by design or not, this announcement again makes her appear as if she is leading the way in the UK rather than following the PM. It comes after the publication last week of her coronavirus exit strategy, in which she promised to treat Scots like grown-ups by having a conversation with them about the measures that are coming, and that prompted calls from Tory grandees like Ian Duncan Smith for the UK government to follow her approach in England and be more transparent about their coronavirus plans. The announcement today also puts spotlight on the UK government, which has been dithering for days over whether to introduce similar guidance on face coverings in England. Ministers have started circulating proposals for shoppers and commuters to start wearing cloth masks, but no final decision has been made. Now, Downing Street did hint today that UK ministers will shortly issue similar advice, stating that by and large, we have moved forward with a single four nations approach. However, if they do so now, it risks looking like they're being bounced into making an announcement by the Scottish First Minister. More than half of humanity is under some sort of lockdown, but governments are beginning to chart their way out of the shutdowns that have pummeled the global economy. From next week, Italians will be able to exercise outdoors and visit relatives if they wear masks and practice social distancing. And today, France, the world's fourth worst hit country, announced measures to ease its lockdown on the 11th of May. Prime Minister Edouard Philippe told the nation it was going to have to learn to live with the virus until a vaccine was found, and that could take up to two years. The Telegraph's Paris correspondent Henry Samuel reports. France will start gradually easing lockdown to avoid economic collapse, starting from May the 11th, the Prime Minister announced today. But it will depend a lot on where you live. So-called green regions with few or no cases will open up faster, but tighter restrictions will remain in place for those living in red regions where infection rates are still high. That probably means Paris and uh, eastern France. And PM Edouard Philippe warned that lockdown may yet not be lifted if the epidemic flares up again before May the 11th. Now, Boris Johnson says it's too early for the UK to open up. But here in France, after six weeks in confinement, businesses will be free to resume operations and schools are set to gradually reopen with smaller classes on a voluntary basis. The French exit plan does hinge on testing up to 700,000 people per week via special detection brigades 
whose mission is to break contamination chains and quarantine all infected individuals. The PM urged everyone who can to work from home to do so at least for three weeks after May 11th and to stagger hours for those who do have to come in by introducing shifts. Restaurants and cafes, however, will remain closed until at least early June. And bad news for sports fans, uh, football and other sports are off limits this season. The good news is the French will no longer be required to fill in forms to go out and will be able to go beyond the current kilometre from their home for an hour per day. But travel between regions beyond 100 kilometres will remain out of bounds for all but essential work or family reasons. Up to a billion people could become infected and three million could die with the virus unless vulnerable countries are given urgent help. That's the warning of the International Rescue Committee Humanitarian Agency. It's published a new report estimating the impact of COVID-19 in the 34 countries in which it operates, including Syria, Yemen and Afghanistan. It says urgent actions needed to halt a devastating health emergency, which could be followed by political and economic crises. Earlier, I spoke to former Foreign Secretary and head of the IRC, David Miliband. He told me that a global disease requires a global response. We completely understand that people are focused on the home front, but this is a global disease. And the truth is, the most vulnerable populations in the world are those with weak underlying health conditions and weak underlying infrastructure. When you realize that there are four ventilators in South Sudan, three ventilators in the Central African Republic, 90% of doctors have fled Venezuela, you can see the Uh, potential for this disease to run rampage. And our great fear is that in the necessary focus on the home front, there is a neglect of the global nature of this disease, the great vulnerability that exists around the world, and the danger that we can't return to normal, not just because of the difficulties at home, but because of the inability to tackle the disease abroad. David Miliband, whose responsibility is it to address that neglect of more vulnerable countries? And frankly, is it too late? I think the global community has been shown uh, to be uh, a concept lacking real concrete meaning. The group of seven leading industrialized democracies failed to agree a statement because the Trump administration wanted to have an argument about calling the, the COVID disease the Wuhan virus. The group of 20 currently led by Saudi Arabia is weak uh, at the moment and not functioning uh, to anything like the kind of level it did in the 2008-9 financial crisis. And obviously, the UN institutions are preoccupied with managing a day-to-day crisis led by the World Health Organization. And so that leaves countries in, in Africa, in South Asia, in the Middle East, really on their own. And for the most vulnerable people in those countries, the dangers are immense. You've seen how in Singapore, the numbers have risen from the hundreds to 11 or 12,000 now because of the way the disease has run rife in migrant populations uh, who are densely populated. That's what we fear in places like Cox's Bazaar, where there's a million Muslim refugees from Myanmar. It's what we fear in northwest Syria, where 85 health facilities have been bombed by the government in the last uh, four months. It's what we fear in the humanitarian emergencies like Yemen, uh, where 24 million people are dependent on humanitarian aid. And there's a few weeks left to do vital preventative work before the health systems such as they are are overwhelmed. And it's vital that we use that time well for the hand washing, the fever testing, the building of isolation spaces that are so necessary to stop the disease running rampant. 
It'll be featured in history books as one of the iconic scenes from the lockdown. But the days of desperate shoppers stripping supermarkets bare of loo roll to stockpile at home could already be a thing of the past. The latest figures from retail analysts at Edge by Essential Data Service show loo rolls no longer the most out-of-stock item in supermarkets. It's been eclipsed by tinned pasta. The height of loo roll stockpiling came around March the 21st. Now, you can't say I don't give you all the most important headlines of the day. If you have a question you'd like us to answer on the podcast, email me coronaviruspodcast at telegraph.co.uk. If your question's about a potential second wave of the virus, our science editor, Sarah Napton, is holding a live Q&A on just that at 1pm on Wednesday. I'll put details of how to join that in the show notes. This is Coronavirus, the latest from The Telegraph. I'm Theodora Leloudis and I'll be back on Wednesday evening with your next update. In the meantime, you can stay up to date with all our coverage completely free for your first week. Just go to telegraph.co.uk slash audio. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 